there are two powerful enemies that loose in the world. You encounter them in some way every day. You experience them in your life, in your family, in your work, in your community. You see them on the media. You read about them. And those powers are very familiar to you. Sin and death. No one escapes them. 151,600 people die every day. So by the time this day is over, 151,600 people will have died. And in addition, billions of sins are committed every day. Say, really? That many? Hey, there's 7 billion people in the world, and so pretty easy to rack up those numbers. So is there hope for the world? Yes. We're going to read about that in, in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Romans chapter 5, 12 to 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we need your Spirit to teach us from your Word. Help me to make Christ clear in his work and in who he is. May we, Father, derive hope from this passage. May we love you more as a result. May we hate sin more as a result. May we be about the gospel. Help us, Father, in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, therefore, verse 12, therefore takes us back to verses 1 through 11. And last week we talked about why we rejoice in hope. And the, the message was hope is certain because we, we have a certain hope that we're not going to be uh, finally visited by God's wrath. We have our salvation is sure and secure. 
And so what therefore is saying in verse 12 is, I'm going to give you the reason that our salvation is so secure. But we have that hope. Paul says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, and then he kind of leaves off. He's, it's like he's going to make a comparison, and he is going to do that, but he actually doesn't. He, he, he gets sidetracked, and he picks it up again in verse 18. I think Paul is kind of ADD. What he says so far is that sin came into the world through one man, as we read in Genesis 3. Sin was not in the world until Adam sinned. And we, we make comments, we, we hear comments like this all the time, like, well, we're only human. And that's usually in light of sin committed or mistakes made. And it's true that as far as it goes, but it, sin is not necessary to being a human being. It's all we've ever known, but it's true that um, in our origin, sin was not part of God's creation for, for people. And likewise, death was not in the world until Adam sinned. People say, well, death is just a natural part of life. What people usually mean is people die. Everybody dies, which is true. But again, death is not native to our human species. It's not necessary to die to be a human being, even though that's all we've ever known. Death is a penalty that came in with its lead partner, sin. Sin and death are twin powers that entered the world when Adam sinned. God had told Adam not to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that he would eat of it, he would surely die. So when Adam asked his wife, Hey, honey, what's for dinner tonight? And she said, Fresh fruit. It's non-GMO. It's totally organic, and it's the latest superfood. And I already tried a sample. Here you go. When Adam ate, he and Eve died. Oh, the physical death t took place about 900 years later. But the spiritual death instantly took place. Spiritual death is inevitable with physical death, and it's separation from God. It's alienation from God. That is physical. Spiritual death is no longer in union with God. And they, they experienced that immediately. So when Adam ate, he and Eve died, and it became alienated from God. I'll just mention this on the side. There are many people today who don't believe that Adam was a historical figure. They think it was just kind of symbolic. It's kind of an accommodation to the evolutionary worldview that says there was no one starting person. Uh, if Adam was not a historical figure, then um, Paul's, Paul's message doesn't have any basis to it. Jesus and Paul believe in a literal historical Adam, and so we, we believe that as well. And as a result, and so death spread to all men because all, all sinned, all people. There's been a debate about what this verse means, um, and so I'll, I'll go over three possibilities. One is that the fact that it says death spread to all men because all sinned means that um, all people die only on the basis of their own personal sin. But this contradicts what Paul says several times in this passage, that people die because of Adam's transgression. So it's not like we're all dying just because of our own personal sin. It's because of Adam's sin. He makes it very clear, so we can throw that one out right away. 
the main view has been in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned in Adam's sin, because he represented the whole human race. So as the head of the human race, we all sinned in him. It is clear in verses 15 to 19 that sin and death came on all, not merely because of their own personal sin, but because of Adam. But I think there's another way to understand the specific point of this verse. So even though it's true that Adam was the head of the race, and so because of him, all of us became sinners and died, um, I'm going to offer one other possible point of view of the meaning of this text, and that's rests on the translation of the word because. The word because is a translation of two words that most literally can be translated on which. So the verse could be translated, and so death spread to all people on the basis of which all sinned. In other words, death was the cause of sin. You say, how can death be the cause of sin? I thought sin caused death. It does. But since physical and spiritual death are inseparable, all sin because all are born spiritually dead. So spiritual death brought about sin because that's the nature of spiritual death. I think this makes better sense of the wording of the verse. So death did come to all because Adam sinned, and all sinned because they are spiritually dead. Death causes sin. Spiritual death causes sin. Sin causes death, and it's, it's, not both, it's both and. It's not either or. And all of it's due to Adam's sin. Now, some may be wondering how people could be charged with sin before God's law was given. People were in, in Paul's day, so he talks about that in verses 13 and 14. In verse 13, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Adam's sin brought sin into the human race before the law, before the law of Moses came, but sin was not counted as a transgression of God's revealed law before it was given. Sin was not counted as a violation of God's revealed law before it was given. This is like what Paul said in chapter 2, verse 12, where he says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. That is, they will still be guilty of sin and eternally perish, but not with the same level of guilt they would have had if they had the law. In verse 14, he says, Even though there was no revealed law that they had, between Adam and Moses, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. The fact that death reigned from Adam to Moses proved that sin existed before the law, because death ruled over those who did not sin by violating or transgressing a revealed command of God, like Adam did. Adam had a revealed um, law from God, don't eat the fruit from that tree or or you're going to die. And then, not again until Moses was there a revealed command in that fashion. So, it says, those who did not sin by violating or transgressing a revealed command of God like Adam did, who is a type of the one who is to come, that is Christ. What is a type? What is a type? A type is an Old Testament person, ordinance, or or event that prefigures or foreshadows or pictures what is to be fulfilled later in God's plan. So now Paul will explain ways that Adam was a a type of Christ, starting with the ways that he is not like Christ. He's going to show how they were both heads of humanity in some sense. They had radically different effects. So we see this first comparison or contrast in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. 
how is Adam's, how is Christ's free gift of salvation not like Adam's trespass? Well, it's that the, the many died through Adam's trespass, which is another word for crossing a line, sinning by crossing a line. But much more have God's grace and Jesus Christ's free gift by grace abounded for the many. Adam wreaked havoc on, on the world through his sin. But what Christ accomplished both undid the ruin Adam caused and replaced it with the power of his grace. What Christ accomplished both undid the ruin Adam caused and replaced it with the power of his grace. So to destroy a good thing is easy. It's easy to tear things down. It's easy, easy to mess things up, have you noticed? It's a lot harder to repair them and actually make them better than they were before. To reverse the ruin and replace it with something better takes more power. In this case, it was the abundant grace of Christ. He makes another contrast. He carries it on in verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. So another way Christ's free gift was not like Adam's sin was in the results. For the judgment following Adam's one trespass resulted in condemnation, which is alienation, separation from God, manifested in physical death. But the free gift that came after many trespasses resulted in justification, that is, being counted right with God, no longer condemned. So again, Paul shows the amazing power of Christ's grace to overcome the accumulated guilt of billions and billions of sins. His grace was able to overcome all, all of the, the accumulated effect of all the sins of all the ages, like a powerful medication that turns back a worldwide plague. In verse 17, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. So he's saying, let me tell you more about what makes Christ's grace greater than Adam's sin. If because of the sin of that one man, death ruled over humanity through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Adam was to rule over the world. God commanded him to rule over all creation. But instead, he sinned and death ruled over him. The way out from under death's rule is by receiving the abundant grace that is in Christ. That's how you come out from under the rule of death. Receiving the abundant grace and the free gift of righteousness. Adam got what he deserved. The death penalty and the human race became subjected to the cruel domination of death. Christ accomplished for us what we didn't deserve so that we could receive righteousness as a free gift. When we do, we reign in life. In other words, we have victory over spiritual death and will one day have victory over physical death. Abundant grace produces abundant life. You have new spiritual taste buds for God and for His life-enhancing gifts, for His Word, for His people, for worshiping His name, for serving Him, for trusting Him, for valuing Him, trusting Him in the midst of suffering. You have a whole new orientation granted to you by grace. And that's, that's a sign of life, of new life. Then, 
in verse 18, here's where Paul completes the comparison he began in verse 12. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, righteousness leads to justification and life for all, all men, all people. So we've got one trespass leads to condemnation, all people. One righteous act that leads to justification, that is being counted righteous, and that for all people. Christ's one righteous act, especially in his death, triumphs over the condemnation caused by Adam's one trespass. There is a contrast between the two alls. So all people are condemned, all people have justification available to them. So all people were, were and are under condemnation due to Adam's trespass. So the one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all people. Now by itself, it sounds like the verse says that all people will automatically be counted righteous by God and have eternal life. And, and there are many who believe that. Many who just believe God's so good, He's just going to save everybody whether they know it or not. But that contradicts the many verses in Romans that say we receive righteousness and life by faith alone. So, for example, in, in chapter 5, verse 1, since then we have been justified by faith. Or chapter 1, verse 16, um, the gospel is God's power for salvation to all who believe. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed by faith, from faith to faith. And Paul just said in verse 17 of this chapter that those who receive grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign in life. Paul is not contradicting himself with this huge emphasis that by faith alone righteousness is gifted by God. That Christ's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all people means it is guaranteed for all who receive him. So it's certain that you may be justified through Christ if you receive him by faith. There's no question because his grace is powerful enough to overcome all, all sin. In verse 19 Paul restates and explains what he just said in verse 18. One man's disobedience contrasts with one man's obedience. The many are made sinners through Adam. The many are made righteous by Christ's obedience. That is, certainly his death on the cross, but probably includes his whole life. His whole life was a per perfect exercise of obedience to God. Otherwise, he could not have paid the price for our sins on the cross without a perfect life. So what Paul's been saying again and again and again, he just he keeps saying the same thing in different ways again and again and again, is that because of Adam's sin, you were born alienated from God, spiritually dead, a sinner, already bent towards sinning, already subject to the death penalty. And you prove that by sinning until you die. Great news, huh? There is no way out from inevitable, inevitable condemnation by anything you do. Well, you say what your three-year-old would say. That's not fair. I didn't ask to be born in Adam. Why should I be under condemnation for what my several thousand great, 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 several thousand back grandfather did? Well, God has arranged it that we are corporately together as humanity. And what Adam did impacted us all. Had he done it right, there would have been no fall. 
The Bible says that God is holy, just, and good, and that we are not. It assumes we are responsible for our sin and calls us to repent and receive his solution to our alienation from him, our spiritual deadness, and our condemnation. So we can criticize God and reject him for not being fair according to our finite and fallen perspective, or we can receive God's remedy, Christ's abundant grace, through his righteous act and obedience that leads to justification in life. Was it fair for Christ, who never committed one sin, and deserve nothing but worship and honor and praise to bear the sins of the whole world on himself and be punished, receive God's judgment against my sin? Was that fair? He took the judgment for billions and billions of sins, including Adam's world-condemning sin. So we can refuse his gift of grace and remain condemned in Adam, or we can receive grace, righteousness, and life through faith in, in Jesus Christ. It may be that for some, talk of being condemned for sin sounds like extreme religious talk. It, they may think that's just a way for churches and preachers to control and manipulate people. They won't receive Christ because they have their own spirituality and morality and, and don't need or want anyone else telling them what to do or how to live. Or there are others of us who can get so focused on our sin struggles that we live as if sin has more power in our lives than Christ's grace. Instead of focusing on Christ and his powerful life-giving gospel, we focus on our sin with thoughts like, I'll never break free of this. I'll never change. This can produce despair and leads to giving up. We, we may either believe God will actually condemn us in the end, or we feel distant from God with hopelessness and lack of joy. We need to remember that Christ has triumphed over the root cause of our sin, all the way back to Adam, as well as all of our sins through his overflowing grace. Some may question at this point, but don't we need to live by God's law in order to restrain sin? In Paul's day, of course, the Jews thought, you need the law in order to restrain sin and, and encourage righteous living, right? Isn't that why God gave the law? Well, in verse 20, he talks about that. Paul says, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The law came in to increase the trespass, the results of Adam's sin. The word translated came in means that the law didn't have a primary role, but had kind of an add-on purpose in God's plan of redemption. Sin was already in the world as a power when the law came, and the law had no power in itself over sin. So the law was brought in alongside with what God was doing, but it, it, it couldn't actually restrain sin. It couldn't actually change the nature of the person. Instead, Paul says the law came in to increase the trespass. Wow, what was God thinking? Gave us something to make a matter worse? Don't you hate it when you try to fix something and it just makes it worse? I mean, the law actually increased sin in seriousness and sins in number. The history of Israel proved that the law didn't fix them. It made them worse and actually worse than the nations around them. And God ended up having to send them into exile. 
but I hate it when I try to fix something and, and it just makes it worse. In fact, it seems like most time they try to fix something, it makes it worse. It's like one real simple example. I'm trying to pluck white-headed dandelions on my yard. And what do all those seeds do? Poof. They've, they're on their evil mission to populate my yard. A worse example is the side effects of some cancer treatments. They kill so many of the good cells that there's nothing, they, the cancer is able to overwhelm the, the good cells. And the cancer can come back with a vengeance. Why did God give Israel the law if he knew it was only going to make things worse? So that people would see that there is no hope for being saved and having eternal life by any of their own efforts, even efforts to obey the revealed will of God. We will buy into anything rather than salvation by grace alone. We'll just, we'll just tell me to do something. Try harder. Do this. Follow these seven steps or three steps or 47 or 12 steps. Join this group. Read this book. Go to this workshop or seminar. Listen to these podcasts. Follow this accountability plan. Listen to this teacher. Go to this seminar. We'll do anything if we can fix ourselves. But, and I'm not saying all these things are bad or wrong to do, um, but when they make us more addicted to trusting in our efforts, to do better, to be a better person, rather than trusting in God's grace, then we have a problem. God gave the law to increase the trespass, to make Adam's sin and its results worse. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. He did this so that the power of grace would be seen for what it is. Grace super increased to conquer the sin that was multiplied and radicalized by the law. You cannot out God's grace. Try it. Can't do it. You don't want to encourage people to sin? All right. Well, don't try it. But you can't do it. No matter how deep your sin pit is, His grace is deeper still. And verse 21, grace abounded over the increased sin. Grace abounded over the increased sin so that as sin exercised its power through reigning in death, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life. Death may have dominated the old age, but now a greater power has invaded the world. Now grace rules. I think we should, it's another Good t-shirt, I think. Grace rules. Grace reigns. It triumphs over sin and death. There's no contest. Grace exercises its reign by conquering sin so the people are no longer condemned before God but stand in righteousness before Him. And having grace-gifted righteousness guarantees that you have eternal life now that will survive your physical death and that will be fully realized when you are resurrected with a glorious, incorruptible body. I was listening to a news feature about oldest people in the world. Right now, I assume she's still with us, Geraldine Talley of Detroit, Michigan, is the current oldest person at 115 years old. 
The previous oldest person just died at 116. Geraldine says her secret to longevity is eating a lot of pork. <laughs> She's a fan of hogshead cheese. Anybody going to have that for lunch today? Uh, it's a combination of pig trimmings suspended in gelatin. So that's, it's obviously working for her. Other really old people have credited their long lives to sushi. Okay, that's more talking language. Um, onion sandwiches, chocolate, good news, cigars, and of course, clean living. 115 is old. It's even older than I am. One person said of a 112-year-old she had interviewed, he died a few months after our interview, but it was hard to feel sad. The the inevitable caught up with George Johnson, that was his name, but he had lived a full life. It's good to live a full life, but we were meant to live forever. Like, Like Joe said, Death may be normal, since that's all we've ever known. One day we will be in our 100,000th year. And we will have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. As we go into the millionth year and the 10 millionth year. You think it's going to be boring. It's not. Physical death will be a long, distant memory, and spiritual death will be completely overcome by life, that is, alienation and separation from God, as we will be fully enjoying the glory of his presence. And of course, this righteousness and eternal life-giving grace is not just an impersonal power like the Force. Yes, there is a Star Wars movie coming out. It is through our Lord Jesus Christ through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus gifts to us right standing with God by grace and new life, which frees and inclines us to right living. It's like he said to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus has vanquished the powers of sin and death for all who hope in him. And that's great news. Father, we give you praise. We really hate sin. We hate death. We believe what you've revealed to us, that we are hopelessly condemned apart from the gracious work of Christ. We believe that, Father, apart from his grace, all of our efforts to be good, do better, to change our lives, to make our... We we can clean up things on the outside, but we cannot undo death, and we can't extricate ourselves from the effects of sin in our nature. We need the grace that Christ freely offers us. And again and again and again, Father, in this text we read, the free gift, the free gift, the free gift. Why do we not want the free gift? Why do we insist on paying our own price for something that will never work, only make it, make it worse for us? So thank you, Father, that you've so freely given to us your Son as the uncondemner 
who took our condemnation upon himself so we could be set free, counted righteous and given life and enjoying the glory of your presence forever and ever. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you for giving us such a certain hope of victory over sin and death. Amen.